I mean, like, like a 10 year old, a 10 year old, like with their leg up on like the, the railing going up the stairs. I was like, you want to dance? You want to dance cowboy? Like my mom was probably like, what is he learning? Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 3, The Double Windsor, featuring Broadway's Michael John Slinger. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Stage Door Medium Season 2. Um, I'm Jimmy. If you're new to the show, every week I sit down with a Broadway artist that I've read, and then we just kind of talk about the parallels between our work and, and what we do. So before I introduce uh, our guest this week, um, one of the questions that came through that I would love to answer for you is, uh, and it's a favorite of mine, is do pets come through during a reading? Um, the answer is yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, what it looks like for me, if you see my, my eyes kind of drifting over here. So I have a couch right behind me and then, um, my table ends over there and the floor is over there. So what will happen is if a dog wants to get my attention, so at least I can't speak for all mediums, but for myself, we're, I'm used to looking out this way, I would say, um, up and out. So what happens is many times if you, if you go to a medium and they miss bringing through a pet of yours, it's really just because our eyes are trained to look up, not down. So for me, because I had missed pets um, my first couple times doing readings, I literally just asked. I was like, hey, for the future, can you um, make a noise? So for me, anytime there's a dog that comes through now or a pet, I hear a jingle of a collar, and that's my sign to look down. Sometimes they'll come in before the client gets there. They'll be hanging out on the couch. Um, recently, I saw a client who came into the studio, and I saw two dogs with her, and one was running way ahead, and the other one had kind of a limp that was right next to her. So I described it during the reading, and sure enough, that was how the two of the dogs walked. The one was always way off and had a retractable um, leash, and then the other would, because they had mobility issues, they would stay kind of close. So yeah, pets come through, dogs, cats, um, barn animals, as, as wild as that sounds. Recently, I did a reading for somebody whose dad grew up on a farm in Italy, and sure enough, I was like, would they have grown up around cows and um, the answer was yes. So yes, to answer your question, pets come through. So, all right, moving on with our episode. Um, I'm so excited to, to welcome him to our show today. So, um, goodness, I'm going to go through the credits in a little bit. And here's what's funny. He has so many Broadway credits. I was doing a talk to text earlier to make the note up and literally Siri just like beeped. Like it ended the talk to text. That's how many credits he had. I ran out of time. Even Siri was like, Wrap it, too many Broadway credits, so if, if that's such a thing. So um, please help me in, in welcoming the incredible Michael John Slinger to our show today. Hi, MJ. How are you? Hi, how's it? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm so happy to see you. Um, welcome to our you to our little show. Um, so I guess, gosh, before Very we get going, I'm, I'm excited you're here. Um, I didn't even realize... <laughs> How many Broadway credits you had? So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this off for those of you at home that okay. don't know. Billy Elliot, West Side Story. West Side Story was your debut, if I'm if I read that correctly. Billy Elliot, how to succeed? Yep, that was my debut. The debut, how to succeed in business without really trying. Evita with Ricky Martin. 
Matilda, Sideshow, Hello Dolly, and currently Mrs. Doubtfire that we're going to talk about how it was just slated to open and then, you know, just kidding yeah. with, with the pandemic. Um, Traviata yeah. at the Met. And um, yes. Oh my gosh, there's so much to, to fill you in on. And I have to, I have to, I have some fan mail for you actually from a co worker of yours. Uh, um, it is the sweetest a coworker. a coworker of yours. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to see how well this jogs your memory. So, um, MJ is a class act. Um, he was literally trailing me the entire show when I was thrown on mid show. So for Billy Elliot, um, on opening night. So Kate Marilly. Kate. Yeah. So, um, if, if, if Kate, if opening night, opening night. So yeah, I, I have to read it too. Cause I'm going to goof up the story, but Kate basically said, yeah, opening night. She had never folks at home. She had never rehearsed this part. It was a featured role. One of the castmates that was a friend of hers got sick. She said that they couldn't even find you guys because um, you guys had your phones turned off like proper theater etiquette. So they had to go into the house, find you guys as you're all gussied up. And then she said, um, he followed me the whole show telling me where to go and what to do. I will never forget that with him. He was so kind, funny, and awesome. And then um, what else did she say? Um she says he needs by example on how to help and care for your fellow swings and understudies. I couldn't have succeeded as well as I did that night without him with a little heart emoji. So that's so sweet. She's, she's, she's gone great. on to dance captain on Broadway. Yes. And I'm sure like that experience only just, you know, informed her of, of how to empathize and, and take care of her swings. I think on the prom, she was one of the dancers. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to pick your brain. I, so you're you're from Queensland. Yeah. You're from Australia, which you're you're there in, right now, right? Yeah, I'm down in Sydney. I'm from Queensland, which is further north. But um, yeah, I once once it was becoming clear that we weren't rushing back to to normal or you know whatever post COVID was, I sort of made the decision to come down. Um, where it's obviously much safer, or it was during like the the thick of COVID. So I came down um, and I've been able to teach and choreograph and just spend some quality time at home, which I haven't had. I've been away sixteen years, so it's been um, sort of the silver lining of of what the pandemic's provided for us. And um, yeah, so I'm down in Sydney at the moment for a few more weeks, and then I'm coming back. I know we had spoken. You said primarily. Like- if you were to rank it, it would be dancer first. So growing up, how, yes. did, how, how did you get into that? Like, did you always know this was something that you were going to do? Uh, I, the answer is yes. Um, you know, uh, I think ignorance is bliss and I was very naive, but that's also why I maybe ended up getting overseas because I sort of had my heart set on New York and Broadway from like, I don't know, maybe 10 years old. Um, my nana, uh, my, my family are all Brits and moved to Australia when I was six weeks old. So my nana took me back to the UK to see family for Christmas when I was five and all of my cousins danced and I tagged along and fell in love with it. And so when I came back to Australia, I said to my mum and dad, oh, I want to start dancing. And at the time I was like soccer on Wednesdays, Taekwondo on Thursdays. I was doing Boy Scouts on a Friday. So mum 
just sort of said, when are we supposed to fit this in? Like, I would just sign myself up for things at school. So I danced one day a week. Um, and we would lived in um, a city called Adelaide at the time in South Australia. And when we moved further north up to Queensland and just naturally the studio we picked was much more serious. Um, dancing sort of took over all the other hobbies and it became like a six day kind of uh, commitment and that's where I really got the bug and I, I really really decided oh I want to do musical theatre I want to be on Broadway and <laughs> they would be like oh okay well why don't we just start at the the casino show like round the corner on the Gold Coast at the time it was called Jupiter's Casino um, but you know as I got older and and um, things got more serious and certain people came into my life that definitely made an impact, um, including this one American woman who I've just reconnected with. Um, she was sort of the one that planted the seed for me to go overseas and said, you should audition for Juilliard. And I was like such a like Queensland teenager at the time. And I said, oh, what's Juilliard's? <laughs> and she's like, it's just an incredible conservatory. <laughs> but she planted the seed for me to have this audacity to, to try and go overseas. Um, and so between that and my ballet teacher at the time, we sort of, we made it happen. It wasn't easy, but um, I always knew I, I had to land in New York. And so it was New York or nothing. And I sort of put all my eggs in that basket and, you know, maybe that wasn't the smartest move, but it worked out in my favor. Well, can I ask then, like, as a as like a ten year old in Australia, like, how does Broadway even? I know you said she had mentioned it, but like, it sounds like it was on your radar really even before she had mentioned it. So, as an Australian, how are, how how did you become familiar with with Broadway or the concept of it? Well, you know, it was quite an isolating sort of passion to have as like a little boy. I was bullied and teased all through school um but my my household we just always had like the old busby berkeley movies on and like mm -hmm. gene kelly for me was like so inspiring there was this like masculine man that dances with athleticism and actually you know sort of breaks this stereotype of of oh you're gay because you dance i mean ironically i am very gay but you know I didn't like that I was being labelled as something that I hadn't even figured out was part of me and associated that with dance, you know. And, and so because my, my, my peers and, you know, kids are tough, just didn't respect the art form for, for being complicated and, and tough and nuanced. Um, I don't know, I guess my outlet was watching those old, you know, movies, like, Singing in the Rain for me was on all the time. Um, and my dad loved them especially. So it was like always, it was just always something that I got to share with my parents. And um, that's that's where I got the bug. And I just, I thought, you know, I saw my, my Nana would take me to musicals as well in Australia. And I just thought, I want to do this. At the time I had no classical training and I just, I realized, oh, if I want to do this and I want to go overseas, I need to like invest in ballet. And at the time I didn't love ballet, but um, I saw it as sort of the stepping stone towards my dreams. And so I did yeah. then fell in love with ballet as, as I got invested. But, um, but yeah, Mr. Mistopheles, you're the one. <laughs> so, okay. So you, 
I saw that you you had a full you had a full ride, full scholarship to over to ABT, yeah. and then you get into Juilliard. What was Juilliard like? Because I I hear so many different things. I mean, just recently a video popped up. It's like some big actress now, a film actress, and she had said something like how Juilliard crushed my 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 desire to basically to act or something. So what's what's the dance program like there? Like what and what's like the best life advice you got out of Juilliard? Yeah, you know what I would I I <laughs> I have to say it was pretty soul crushing at times. It was very humbling, but it also was really inspiring. Like when I first arrived and I was 18 and I had been this big fish in a small pond to arrive in this place where suddenly I was with other people that were in a similar boat was very exciting. Um, but also very humbling because then suddenly like it, it just, it was a different sort of level and I wasn't special. Um, so quite, quite quickly it became about the work and they really do, at least when I was there and I was there like, Oh, four to oh nine um i wasn't really polished yet but that's what they i think at the time they were looking for is like these sort of um you know diamonds in the rough that then they can polish and i mean they stripped back all of my training i had to like unlearn everything that all of my teachers had worked so hard to just get me in the door and then learn this whole new way of of learning and much of it was inspiring because I, I I just went there to dance and I was like this competition kid with this classical ballet background by that point. I had no experience or exposure to modern dance and like the greats, especially like American modern dance. And so that was confronting for me and very, I felt very exposed. Um, I don't know, by your second semester, you learn to surrender to what the culture is, but um, it was hard and it was intense and they, they expected a lot, um, but they also really emphasized on grooming us to become artists that actually contribute to society. And it just, it was a, it was, there was a whole lot of things I could never have anticipated that I was going to, to learn. And it, it changed my world. So as hard as it was at times, um, it really did set me up for a life in New York City. Um, and just the intensity of the training and the schedule. I mean, I danced from nine in the morning to like 10 p.m. at night, six days a week. Um, it really did set me up for success when I then went to do musical theatre, which is not the most... Um, kind of conventional transition you know they really train us to be concert dancers and try and send you to Europe where the modern dance world is really respected and is still thriving um, but just the intensity of the program and I was with 23 other dancers like 24 7 like you become a family um, you know they really made their mark on me and then my contemporary dance backgrounds within Broadway really served me well, especially on shows like Billy Elliot and Matilda um, in many ways. Uh, but ironically, Julia did kill my dreams of choreographing. Did it? 
yeah it was just too much at the time I was it was just too I was too overwhelmed and so when I then became you know a professional performer I never thought I would be a choreographer it just was never my lane and it was probably a good thing it's probably why I've, I've worked so much um in New York uh because I just was really focused on on being on stage and so it wasn't until Hello Dolly was happening or wrapping up and I was starting to process where I was in my life you know I was in my 30s and kind of what was the next chapter for me that I thought oh maybe I want to start doing associate choreography work and now it's been about three years and I have to say it feels like home and it's just it's so ironic because after my first year at Juilliard I stopped taking any any coursework on choreography because it just I felt just felt very insecure I guess which is you know that was the 18 year old MJ this is too overwhelming so it's fun to be able to revisit full circle because it actually feels like where I belong can I ask like what goes through a choreographer's head because I I think of like even when you talked about spoken about Matilda I think of certain pieces of choreography that like for example I always think of the chop chop this thing and then I you know and then (laughs) and then I think of this where the guy um the backwards runs and where they just do this so like oh that's trav my best friend travi did that <laughs> so it, it's it's one of my fa- it, it, put it this way if i'm still talking about this from like 2013 if i can remember yeah. this i'm like i because i remember when i was directing it last year i was like i really like this i want to i want to throw this in and i remember one of my students one of the one of the 10 year olds called it like the demented equal sign is what he called it and so they were like counting out because it is i'm like oh it's an equal sign and he was like demented equal sign or evil equal sign or something like that so as a choreographer then like what goes through your brain like is everything like a a stroke of genius are there some things that you're just like i just like this move so i'm throwing this in there i've always wondered what it what it some like going on up there for somebody sure. creating a piece i think i think everyone's approach and process is different but what i think is um quite uniform in terms of like creating theater choreography is it's it's motivated at least in my experience it's motivated from a place of intention and storytelling and that's what motivates everything or informs us as to like how we're going to move forward. Um, you know, in concert dance world, sometimes you can just be really um, inspired by movement and choreography. But um, I've been really lucky to work with so many choreographers in New York. But for Matilda, like specifically and Billy Elliot, um, Peter Darling is like, he's like next level in my opinion and his team that he surrounds himself with Ellen Kane and Kate Dunn. Um, but they really allow themselves to have process. Like Peter would tell the story about when they were choreographing Matilda. Um, he went and sat in a primary school or elementary school for two weeks and watched little kids behave. So like, you know, in Bruce, how, I don't know if you remember, but in Bruce, the kids had this series of like twitches that were really like sharp oh, and it was like, yes, mind blowing, right? He's yeah. So he found it fascinating. Oh, and this thing, a teacher would tell, yes, but all of this stuff, you remember? Yes. Uh, but they were like so sharp. It was incredible. 
And he found it fascinating when a teacher would tell these children that they had to sit still, that they suddenly couldn't. Every time the teacher turns and, and wrote on the board, the kids are fidgeting and the teacher turns around and they're like frozen this way or whatever. And so that's what inspired him with Bruce. And so, um, you know, obviously you start with the script and, and the storytelling and the intent, but then you just have to find an in, have a concept, and then it's process. You have to throw spaghetti at the wall, see what works and what doesn't. Um, I know for us, when I, I, I work with Lauren Letero, a, a choreographer, um, quite closely, and for us, our more successful work is when we get in the studio and we do a first draft and then we just keep editing and editing and editing or taking a break and coming back to it. I think you can't make something brilliant in one go. You can't do a first draft. You know, it's, it's all about process. And the most iconic, um, successful sort of theatre works that we've loved, the Hamiltons and things, they're, they're in, it's, a, it's years in the making. You know, we just owe it to the story. We have to drive the plot forwards, and you know, often if it's a big musical number, it's well, it's a heightened version of of a moment. If it's not, if the if the musical number is not driving the plot forward, then it's a something heightened, and that's really fun, actually. You know, I don't want to give too much away, but on like Mrs. Doubtfire, um, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire's breast, like catching on fire cooking yeah. in the kitchen is such an <laughs> iconic moment and that's a huge production number in our musical which is really fun so we get to like live in that for like four or five minutes and it's really successful I think as an audience member um what we've sort of come up with I know when we were trying to do some of the desk choreography it's like some of them couldn't grasp I think just some of the moves and it wasn't until I stepped back and I explained the thought process and this idea of, okay, like her back is turned. And I was like, what do you guys do in class? I was like, when the teacher's back is turned, you all what? And they're like, oh, we turn. And we talked about the rigidity, you know, of the lines of the desks and how really I, I called the desks home base for each of the kids. And I was like, all right, we can't vary too much from home base because if a shadow goes off, you know, Trunchbull will catch that. And so it wasn't until I explained that, um, I mean, and granted, some of the kids also needed, um, I made, I was choreographing another production, like tickets started at like 26 or 27. So I told them, I was like, those aren't $27 hands. So it wasn't until they had some type of different explanation rather than just the steps that I think they put it together. But, um, but you know what, Jimmy, it's, that is still true. I found um, working with adult actors that, move you know that are uh, actor singers or actor musicians first um and I, I again i owe so much to lauren latero who i work with um constantly because she's had so much experience in that she was a fabulous dancer in every iconic show that i definitely like grew up watching like her she was in fossey which i ruined that dvd like Same to the here. point of scratching <laughs> so you know, Lauren's got moves and then her career just as we've, you know, as she's evolved, she's got a lot of experience with um, actors first. And so even for us with Almost Famous, you know, it's a really talented group, but it's the priorities on the acting and the singing and they all, that ensemble all could stand on their own and play lead roles. And so 
for me, I was new to choreographing on a group that don't find dance or know their bodies the way I know my body. And the, 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 the way to be successful there is, again, it's to give them um, an, uh, an, an in, an understanding, an explanation, if you just break it down in a different way. And so that's a, that's a muscle that I've had to really sort of learn to exercise and grow. Um, and it's, it is the same with kids, you know, and kids are still growing and developing. So sometimes their attention spans not um, the best, but yeah, I think, you know, there's more than one way to get there. And so if, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work by screaming five, six, seven, eight, point your foot, you have, you know, you, you, you approach it a different yeah. way. And I love, I love that you called the desks home base. I think that's, that's, that feels very of the world of, of Matilda and maybe something that we would probably use. We'd, we'd spoken earlier about listening to your body. Um, I, cause I, I mean, that's got to hit home. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's got to hit home. And for me, one of the big things, if you're unfamiliar with terms of a medium, clear sentience means um, clear feeling. So for me, I use, I use my body as a canvas, so to speak, for how to get in touch with your loved ones that want to come through. So we're going to piggyback, but I had a list of things. So if you're like, well, what does that mean for a medium? I guess before I have MJ talk about what it looks like for him as a dancer, think of like the, the board game operation where there's that guy and then there's you know, the, the little metal parts that you have to get out with the pliers. I basically say once the reading starts, hey, whoever wants to come through, if you really want to get my attention, if you think I'm going to miss you, use my body and tell a story for, so I know how you passed. So I have a couple things written down, which if you've ever wondered at home what it looks like, or because I always say you're only seeing like probably one third of everything that's going on with me when I give out a message. So all yeah. right, let's start. If we're going from the top, if I have head, um, left side of the head uh, for me would indicate drug or suicide. Right side of the head I had written down would indicate um Alzheimer's or dementia or, um, uh, and then based on the intensity, I'll know. So if it's a tickle, that's typically Alzheimer's or dementia. If it's more aggressive, that is something like a brain tumor that somebody passed from. And then if we go down, um, if my face goes numb, that's typically some type of stroke, something that would have left us, um, numb, which is, which is, a, I guess another thing, um, it's just kind of wild to experience. It goes away quickly. The minute I say, okay, I got it, like it, they leave me alone. But this is always tricky because heart can either mean old age. It can either mean heart attack. If they spread it across my chest, that means breast cancer. This typically means if it goes up, that's lung. Um, so, But that can also mean congestive heart failure if something builds up. What else did I have? Um, if my legs tingle, that typically indicates that somebody was diabetic. If my toes start to tingle... Um, or otherwise it meant that they would have been missing limbs from an injury or they might have been born without them. Stomach for me always indicates colon cancer or any of these organs that would have shut down. Um, that's really, I mean, I'm trying to think there's, there's more, but those are the ones that frequently come up. So it's tricky if you've, if you, if you've been listening for, for, you know, some other episodes, I'll talk about how I can't eat before a reading. And that's one of the main reasons is because if my body's digesting something, or if I don't drink enough water that day, I might start getting a headache and I'll go, oh, who passed from the, from the drug overdose? And no one did. Like, that's me. That's my body going, you need water. So I really have water. to like, it, it's crazy. You know, I really have to treat it as this, um, you know, uh, 
knowing that anything that goes off could make me take me in the wrong direction or the right. So I guess, what about you? What's that like on your end? It's, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the same, but it's, it's like very different because obviously I'm not necessarily, you know, a vehicle to the other side with my body, but I tell you what, I know my body so well, like it's just earlier this week, actually, I've just been burning the candle at both ends and I just woke up not really feeling in my body is all I could say. And I just knew that I needed to sort of slow down and have a try and get a couple of nights of really good sleep because I could just feel myself about to, to get sick. And I obviously didn't want that. Um, you know, I've had so many injuries over the years. I've got horrendous knees. I've had three knee surgeries. Thank you, West Side Story. Thank you, Hello Dolly. <laughs> Hello Dolly, <laughs> Those, the jumps. I too, you're jumping over the pit, yeah. Um, and it's funny because I was in such denial when I, I tore my meniscus for the second time and had a bone spur and had all this debris floating in the knee. And I tore my meniscus 10 years earlier or something. And I was in such denial. I stayed in the show for three months before I finally had it diagnosed and I kept jumping over the pit and it would swell and I would ice and I would handle it. And it didn't hurt that bad until I finally got the information that I had to have knee surgery again and was going to leave for three months. Then I was like, okay, it really hurts and I really can't do it. And then it was quite quick. So it's amazing how much you can sort of trick yourself as well. Um, and then as soon as I had the surgery, um, I was all bandaged up, obviously, and on crutches and what have you. But I, it immediately felt different, like, because it had just been so thick for so long and there'd been so much in there. It just felt, like, much clearer. But, um, yeah, I think it's something I try and teach all the dancers I'm training at the moment. When In my warm-up, when I'm warming the kids up, is, you know, I don't mean to sound pretentious, but we do like plies and, and tondus and really sort of basic things in the center, like in my theater class before we sort of go and hit a combo hard. And, you know, I always say to them, you know, we're not doing this for show. Like this is to inform where you are today. And, and this is also Juilliard. It's like, okay, I'm only feeling 80%. So how do I show up and, and give my best with, I've only got 80% energy. And it's, and so I, I think, when I do some of the, my warm up technique stuff, I go, it's not to be like really good at plies. Like who cares? Like lift your leg up and balance on one leg and see where you're falling over today. Cause that's going to be a problem mm-hmm. when you start dancing. <laughs> and so try and just assess where you are today. And then you have to use that. Cause you know, you're not, you're not the same every day is I guess my point. So that's, I think dancers especially are really good at listening to their bodies and also aren't good about acknowledging when something doesn't feel right um, and they push through. And so, you know, I'm guilty of that. So I'm a big advocate now of, of really trying to listen and um, acknowledge <laughs> yeah. maybe there's a reason for, for why your body's telling you something sometimes. And the 80% thing hits home too. It's so, it's so hard because there's days where like, Today I had readings and I was tired. I did not sleep well. And I was, I felt like I was running at about probably about 85% when I normally try to do like yeah. 
110 because you can't really, you know, I especially the same thing when you're doing these Broadway shows, you can't coast. It, it's funny. A friend of mine was, was, um, dance captain for, for wicked. And I found a clip of him. I found this like 4k video and I, we were watching it and I, I guess maybe you can coast. Cause we were watching it and he was like, Ooh, he's like, we were tired today in wicked. He's like watching this video. He's like, this is rough. We were watching, um, right after the wizard night, um, the loathing number with the books. And, and then we had yes, watched yeah. some dancing through life and he was like, oof, he's like, this was probably a Sunday. He's like, this was probably a Sunday show. If I were to guess the way it was fascinating to see him break it down. He was like, like watching, I could see him watching everyone's body and going based on how we're moving right now. Like he knew he was like, Oh, this has got to be a matinee or this has got to be like an end of the week show. And everyone's just like, yeah. Or, a, or a holiday, was, like when you guys do like 400. It was probably like, we did a put-in on the Thursday. Yeah. It's a holiday show, so we've got a ninth show yeah, of the week. Yeah. It's it's hard. The other fun thing is when you mentioned it, I brought it up in your reading. So if you're wondering at home, of course, we, of, of course when, when, I, when I meet with a client, I have to go like, look, I can't legally diagnose your medical issues. But my body will also go off if something is going on with somebody here in the physical. So what, I remember... My knees started killing me at one point when I was reading you. And I was like, and if it's not my knee, I'm not going to feel it there. I'll feel it in my ankle or I'll feel it. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, you're like, and I remember, um, I, I know we'll talk about it, but I mean, they were so your, you know, one of your loved ones was so adamant that you continue to go to this knee doctor and see no one else. Oh my, oh, we have to talk. No, let's talk let's just this. let's go right yeah, into my it. Dad, my gorgeous dad. Yes, I want to hear all uh, about my him. My gorgeous dad. Um, Take it away. So you were you. He was so he was determined to get through, but also I think you were. I have so many thoughts, so I hope I don't sort of go on a, too much of a tangent. But um, it was really special for dad to come through because his you really captured his personality. You talked about the body, like you completely um, right away tapped into the fact that we lost him um, to much heart disease and lung cancer, like right off the bat. Um, but it's really special for me to share my reading with some of my loved ones, including um, my boyfriend now who has never met him and share the reading because I felt like it was actually an introduction to my dad. On the other side, it was so special. And I just have to say like, you do such meaningful work. I just, I appreciate it so much. Um, but that said, and I have some friends that are going to love this. <laughs> um, you, we talked about the knees and dad just kept being like, there's one guy, there's like one doctor that you have to go to and you have to, you, he's, you've seen him and you have to stick with him. I'm not saying that you might have another surgery, but if you have more problems, stick with him. And so I went to two different surgeons and there's there might be more now, but once upon a time, there was sort of two Orthio guys that took care of Broadway and the arts in New York. And I went to one doctor for the first surgery I had back in 09. And then over the years, I ended up seeing, and I'm going to give him a plug, Dr. Bauman, Dr. Philip Bauman, because he is a stud of a surgeon. Um, and he took care of my my knee surgery on Hello Dolly. I'd seen him for years and we've built a great relationship. And um, that knee surgery was quite complicated. And there was a couple of things that he said, you know, I might need to do this if I go in. And, and 
there was one thing he wanted to do was to maybe crack my patella to create um, bleeding to help with the healing, but it just sort of meant my recovery was longer. And I was like, absolutely not. Like I was determined. And, um, but I gave him all my trust and we were, we were golden and I healed beautifully. Um, but my experience on that surgery, I was so terrified to be out of the show for three months and I was so devastated. And the whole experience was actually quite lovely. And then a bunch of boys on Hello Dolly had similar experiences. You know, it was just such a hard show. And we all went to Dr. Bauman and I would see people at PT and they were like, I think I have to have surgery on my rotator cuff or whatever. And I'd be like, go see Dr. Bauman. He's amazing. <laughs> like I was like getting a bit. Um, there are plenty of people in our industry that probably have the same feelings towards him so I, there is no way i would go anywhere else should i need it dr bauman, dr. bauman is my guy dr. Bauman. <laughs> yeah it i, I oh gosh you're uh, if you don't mind like tell me about your dad yeah, like your please. dad was your dad was so lovely to bring through like he was a bit of a stage mother which you definitely picked up on like in the best way possible sure. um oh gosh he was it was what I love about this work that you do is I've had a few readings um, and dad always comes through and he's, he's quite consistent, you know, even though like the mediums have been a sort of different personalities or bring different things to the table. He's been quite consistent, which is lovely. And my trust to what this world is has really grown because of that. But what I love more than anything is like you tapped into some really personal things that were going on in my head and my heart that I hadn't expressed. And a big one was, you know, the topic of kids <laughs> has become something that it doesn't feel like it has to happen tomorrow, but I'm of age um, where it's something to consider um, and I'm quite ambitious. And so, you know, my, my other half, would love to go there and I I was definitely like oh will I or won't I and you had a lot to say about that but what was so gorgeous is you said you know your dad acknowledges that that's happening and your dad thinks that you would be a really great dad and I just remember that moment was like really it was you know it makes me emotional now it's just like the most beautiful thing to hear you know it's been 10 years since he's gone um and it, it was just something that I've not really expressed to anybody. <laughs> and for you to bring that up, I was just like, wow, that was just such a, that's more validating to me now than like hearing from someone on the other side. Well, you never know um, what someone's takeaway is going to be from a reading. So for example, like I always say there's like many things thrown at, thrown at us at once. And so if I wasn't, I think, that day, I remember I took like no other readings. I was like, it's just you today. So I, I could be operating at 100%. And I remember I saw the kids. And if if you're listening at home, I see, if I see a white X, an X, uh, excuse me, a grayed out X, it means it's up to us if we want to have kids. If I see the X is solid, it means that it's something that we've mapped out before we come here. So we're going to be a parent no matter what. If it's grayed out, it just means if we want to act on this, um, and, you know, when, when he had shown me that, I was like, I always have to go, all right, if it's coming up, they have to bring it up. But, you know, like like anything, like, I never know what 
and it's not my job to either guess, you know, um, predict what somebody's going to walk away with. And I remember when we when we when we spoke about that, just how I don't know. Your dad was just so excited that that it came up and that to kind of coach you on that, so to speak. And it was really special. And it was really special for me because I miss him every day, and I just miss his insight. I think I said that to you. There, you know, as I'm getting older and I'm navigating life, there sure. are times where I really wish he could i i wish he was here in the physical sense um to to for him to weigh in um and i do feel him sometimes so i you know sometimes i need to maybe be better about listening um i certainly felt him a lot more when he first passed but that was just a really unexpected and beautiful kind of gift and um you know it's provoked many conversations since it um I mean, there's so many things as well that you brought up that have since happened. You talked about like having a new home and ironically, tomorrow we close on an apartment. You did. So, which is great. And yeah, and my niece and nephew um, came up um, and I think he said it came up that was that my my nephew spooked and couldn't sleep in the dark of the dark yeah and you said you know your dad didn't mean to spook him he was just checking up on on little leo and so of course i send a text message to my brother and sister-in-law and they were like yeah he's afraid of the dark and he has a night light because there was something that happened and i was like this is so weird but the, <laughs> that that was dad i didn't mean to spook leo <laughs> um so there was so many great things that oh, came that, out of the reading. It was so energizing. I remember I told you something. This one sticks with me because I, I don't remember everything, yeah. but I remember. So two things. And um, the first, I'll say the first thing. And if I have to cut out the second one, I will. But I remember the first one. I was like, why is your dad talking about a tradition that's passed down on opening night oh, to yeah. the men? And then you told me you basically, it's your Instagram handle. Like your dad taught you how to do. Yeah. The double Windsor knot. The double Windsor knot. Yeah. And then. And I have a. Oh. Oh yes, I forgot I about that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then I talk. You're like, is it written somewhere? And yes. Like, right. <laughs> sometimes they'll, if they hit my body, sometimes I'll go. All right, it's on the body, so it means we're either wearing something or it's tattooed. But he just he kept talking about written form, and then I remember he showed me like a suit, and I was like, Are you doing yes. something? And then you would, I won't say too much, I, but I. No, you, no, I can't because it'll be a minute till it happens. But I, you know, we were obviously leading up to uh, opening Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. for the three previews in when COVID happened. And I had found, I'd emptied my storage container and brought everything to the basement of our apartment building and going through boxes or like green tubs. And I found two of my dad's um, double breasted suits that I'd taken with me when he passed and haven't really given him much thought. And there was a gray one. And I, I said, you know what? I might go get this. I said to Max, I might go and get this tailored. Like it's needs to be rebuilt, but I might get this rebuilt and, and tailored to wear for opening Mrs. Doubtfire. It sort of feels like perfect with, I mean, our Doubtfire is, is contemporary, but, you know, the movie's very 90s. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. kind of perfect for it. So I was thinking about that. Then COVID happened. I went back in the tub. 
but in the back of my mind, I've, that's my plan. And then you brought it up. Are you planning on wearing a, something of your dad's to honor him? And I said, that's crazy. I hadn't, I hadn't told anyone about that. And so now I have to see it through. Yes. <laughs> so I guess, I, I guess as, as we close too, I guess when, when Broadway reopens, which it looks like it, it, it looks like we're, we're gearing toward fall. Like what can we expect yeah. with, with Mrs. Doubtfire? So yeah, it's set. Um, I hate the, I hate the term timeless, but it's contemporary. We, you know, we have cell phones and, and things sure. when we need them. Um, but the, the heart of, of the movie is very much um, present in the musical. And Rob McClure that plays Mrs. Doubtfire does such an incredible job of honoring uh, Robin Williams. Um, and really he's, his work on Mrs. Doubtfire is so iconic. And Rob has really found a great way to honor that and then also make it his own. Um, and then with Jerry Zach's, you know, directing and at the steering wheel it's just there's so much heart and so much comedy it's just so funny and we were really well on our way in previews so it was so disappointing for us to lose that yeah. momentum but um i think i think everyone the cast the crew the creative team are just so passionate about getting it to the finish line um because it's really it's a story about you know love and family totally. and i think it's going to be more relevant than ever post-covid and so in a strange way it might end up being a gift that we paused and get this opportunity to come back when the world comes back and there's a renaissance you know hopefully i believe there will be after covid i think everyone's so starved of culture and experience and, and feeling feelings i think it's it's a really great hybrid of you know family and connection but also it, it, there'll be some great escapism as well i think Beautiful. from the world problems and so that oh, fire i'm really excited to to bring it to new york now that you're home in australia and, there, and there's theater going have you seen any of the professional productions like come from away or hamilton or i got to go to the opening of hamilton Did which you? was so much fun um which it was just so magical it's it's so weird for me <laughs> to be home where Australia's obviously done such a great job of, of navigating COVID that they can have 100% capacity in theatres wearing a mask. But, um, you know, the, the industry down here got hit hard as well when COVID first happened. Um, oh, it was, I was quite emotional sitting there, like, you know, the, with the, the curtain goes up and the music starts, just to be like, wow, I have not been in a theatre in over a year um i've seen hamilton i got to see an australian production of rent at the opera house which that was my first that was my first time back in the theater back in january nice. um and it, it's quite amazing because if you think about it it's australia that's probably the only place that's got live theater in the world at the moment i mean other than that at one point it was it was korea I know they I mean, oh, they were making there was a cats happening and Phantom Phantom the World Tour had been there for a, for oh, a little okay. bit. Yeah, it's been fun, and then like all of the uh, U.S. creative teams have been coming down to cast things. Like Hamilton's team, obviously, we're here to set the show. Yeah, um, and it's the same set designer for Doubtfire, so the associate was in Sydney, and that was really fun to to, to connect with him. And then all of Moulin Rouge came down, and Bingo. so. Um, 
that was really nice to sort of mesh my two worlds together because you know that's cool yeah it's cool um and i think hopefully so many of these american producers have brought shows to australia where it's sort of they can learn and adapt sort of the the, the way we come back in New York, but it, it, there, there is a successful model there that, that's doable. Obviously, sort of a different set of optics, but um, I'm sure that it's probably been really quite helpful and informative to uh, the producing the Broadway League. And now it's time for some last minute questions. If you were a ghost that was stuck in a theater for all of eternity and you could only watch the same musical over and over, what would you pick? <gasps> no. Yeah. Um, that's so hard. I guess... <laughs> I think I would be a ghost at the Hirschfeld and I'd probably want to watch How to Succeed. How to Succeed. The 2010, the revival. Yeah. I think... That's a first. We've had we've had no one mention that show before, so that's a first. I mean, maybe that's a bit. Maybe I should pick a show that I've not done. If that's the case, I would do. I'd probably want to be. Oh God, I feel like there's so much judgment that comes with this. Is like a favorite movie. Uh, Rapid Fire. This isn't rapid, is it? It's fine. Um, <laughs> probably. I'd want to. I'd want to watch Fosse every day. I just. I grew up loving that show. I'm sure I'm going to have a better answer when I listen to this later on. How many times <laughs> I tried to be that one that had the cigarette hanging out of her mouth? She's like, you want to dance? You want to dance, cowboy? I mean, like <laughs> like a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old like with their leg up on like the, the railing going up the stairs. I was like, you want to dance? You want to dance, cowboy? Like my mom was probably like, what is he learning from this DVD from like the library? And um <laughs> God, uh, Fosse, Fosse, I'm right there with you. So if you could, um, any show that you've been in uh, that has a character or a character that you've played that would benefit the most from a medium? Oh, Billy Elliot, his mom. I mean, we have a character in there called Dead Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't know if you got to see it, but, you know, I she did, writes yeah. these letters to him and he reads them all the time and they have this like back and forth um billy elliot for sure billy that would be a good i know how blunt though just dead mom um other than (laughs) well yeah they'd be like in the role of dead mom today so-and-so is playing it you know with the announcement i remember when i was at uh at les mis uh I, i was seeing it and the to be this announcer, he was like, you know, welcome to this performance of Les Mis on, it was on Broadway. It was like, the role of bloody whore is being played by, I'm like, all right. Like, it was like, not even like, you know, like street, like it was just bloody whore. Like that was to, to just, just, to, to say that. Um, I guess if you could take a, maybe in the dance world, because you talked about so many, if you could swap places with somebody and create a dance or that was a star making turn for somebody that you grew up watching, what would it be? Can I just say Peter Darling's entire career, but specifically school song, Matilda with the gates, the letters coming through and solidarity, actually no grandma's song and Billy Elliot. Those two numbers to me are like mind blowing. The oh god, the gate song is so good. Um, 
I will, I will definitely have to pick yeah. your brain on what this thing means. I do want to know what this means because I've never seen a child do this despite being a teacher. So I am going to, I'm going to, one day I'm going to just go like, MJ, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then finally, when, when we're all no longer here, many, many years from now, hundreds of years, I'm going to say, how would you want people to look back and, and remember you? Oh, wow. Um, I just, I just want to make an impact on, uh, and I'm finding it now, actually, here in Australia, especially. I'm, I just want to make an impact on young artists' lives the way certain people have. I mean, I've been very lucky to gain some mentors over the years, and I just, you know, I don't like this idea of leaving a legacy or anything, but I just, I hope I inspire, especially young Australians, to sort of get out overseas. And I, I, whether they pursue the arts or not, what I, my time back home has been so meaningful and unexpectedly so because I'm living example to these young adults that you can have the audacity to, to dream big and anything's possible. Whether they go to Europe and have a completely different career or life to the arts, I just, there's a whole world out there for them. And I just, I, I, I just hope I inspire generations to come to go and chase their dreams because that's all I did and then everything else just sort of happened that's it that's what it's about well I I cannot thank you enough for for being my guest today I can't thank you enough this was oh, this was incredible I cannot wait um everyone at home when Mrs. Doubtfire comes back get yourself a ticket I will be there too cheering MJ and, and the cast on and I can't wait to see it so um, until until next time, MJ, be well, and everyone at home, I will see you soon. Thank you again, MJ, so much. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Hi, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you want to learn more about Stage Door Medium, please feel free to give me a follow at Stage Door Medium on Instagram, stagedoormedium.com, and on YouTube, Stage Door Medium as well. I hope you're well, and we'll see you soon.